Welcome again to Our Street. Lynn Fisher here with my perennial buddy, Kurt Elder. Kurt, how are you doing on this great fall day? Lynn, what a beautiful day. And uh, I'm, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying the leaf weather. I'm not enjoying ranking, but that's just part of the joys of homeownership. Well, sure, sure. I, I, our listeners can't see, but we're on Zoom, and I can see leaves on something in the background in your yeah, home yeah. there. Yeah, I've, uh, I have a lot of artwork in my office, so. There you go. Well, Kurt and I have uh, started a, a series of shows about housing, and uh, Kurt invited today. We have, a I think, a, a first-time guest on our show, but Kurt and I have both met this gentleman, and he is the planning and development director for the Lincoln Housing Authority, Tom Judge. Tom, welcome to our show. Hey, thank you, Lynn, very much. I appreciate the invite, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, Kurt, why don't you uh, start off and... So, hey, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how in the heck did you end up in this role? I am, I am glad you asked that question, to be very frank and honest with you, Kurt. Um, my story and my journey in affordable housing was not a typical mindset. And let me put it this way. Most folks, when they're growing up, have ambitions to be maybe a doctor, lawyer, entertainer, um, school teacher, banker, what have you. But never in my wildest dreams did I ever think <laughs> I would find a passion and career in affordable housing. I, I had no clue that even existed. Sure. So just to go back just a few years, uh, I've been, my background was banking and I was very comfortable with my position. I thought this is a great career. I have no, no idea or ever reason to leave banking. And one day a former boss of mine contacted me out of the blue and said, I'd like to meet with you. And I said, oh, sure, that's great, catch up. And she said, no. I want to talk to you about a possible position in affordable housing. And I said, I, I'm not sure what you're talking about. And she said, tax credits. And so it just kind of blew me away. So I, anyway, long story short is I did meet with her because I wanted to catch up. And um, the, the invitation was a offer to work for a real estate developer and management company that was primarily into affordable housing. And that was in Omaha. So if you're ever going to make a change in life, you do it with somebody you trust, right? Sure, that makes sense. <laughs> and so I said, yes, I took a risk. And that got me involved into a company called New Style Development, Construction and Property Management. And I worked two years there in their finance side of the property management. And I got my teeth cut into tax credit development and what that consisted of. Sure. Two years there and I get a call out from a tax credit syndicator that was based in Omaha. And the owner of that one or the president contacted me and said, I wanna meet with you over lunch. And within 45 minutes of the meeting, he offered me a position in regards to an asset management position for that syndicator. And so from there, that was almost 13 years of working in that tax credit field under the syndication realm. And I was very, very blessed to have opportunities to, um, as far as promotion goes, and to develop even further professionally. And then from there, uh, I joined the Lincoln, I, I joined a nonprofit here in Lincoln with the emphasis of helping them develop residential housing using the tax mm -hmm. credit program. And then from there, 
the housing authority found you knocked on your door away you went and said hey we'd like you to lead the planning and development team um, we had somebody who retired and so we're looking for somebody and so that's where i'm at today eight years later really cool now. when people hear lha or lincoln housing authority they have some idea of what it is but from a thirty thousand foot view can you just give us a, a review of what lh is but yes. what lha is and then we'll get into what it takes to develop affordable housing and we'll just focus on that Perfect. So LHA is basically the administrator of the um, rental assistance vouchers. So tenants of low to moderate income that need rental assistance will go through our office to help get that subsidy. On the other side of LHA, there are some programs that we offer that may not be as um, apparent in the, in the community. And that would include um, family self-sufficiency, as well as we have a we, for the last 30 years, have been a part of a collaborative effort with Lincoln Public Schools and Lincoln Northeast High School of building a single family home for a low to moderate income family. And then the other side of it is development. And the part that I'm really involved and engaged in is to create more housing, affordable housing in our community. So it's going even perhaps another 10,000 feet up. There is, there's a, uh, there's a number of vouchers and there's a number of units that LHA themselves own. And then there is a difference between new things that you're building now, which is what we want to learn more, learn more about, and then there's existing. So as far as the voucher total, how many vouchers are out in the community of varying kinds? There's like veterans, there's regular, there's others. Yeah, yeah. So Kurt, that question is answered with 3,469 vouchers total sure. of rental assistance that we provide. Okay. And that is a mixed bag. Right. And then the other side of it is units owned or managed and or managed by the housing authority. And that's close to 1,500 units. So for a grand total of 4,800-ish? Yeah. Is that about right? Mental math is not good right now. Our listeners want to know, but I had a horrible stretch with technology today. And, and so I'm going to question so, my addition even. So I, I've got a question. quick question. Yeah. So Tom, uh, of the 1500 units that the uh, Lincoln Housing Authority owns, how many of those are uh, subsidized with some kind of a assistance program for rent? So though we accept all of those are accepted, 200 of those units are public housing. And then the others are non-public housing. Some of those Lynn would be tax credit units, which is owned by a basically for-profit entity, whether it be a limited partnership or a limited liability company, but they're still restricted in regards to who can live there in regards to affordability, income and rent restricted. So how, how many how many properties are not subsidized or tax credit or not any other way uh, in some kind of a program that are just market rents? Yeah, so I don't have that number offhand, but I will say this, like for example, the new project that we're under construction in right now, the first phase is 64 units. Of that, 25% of those units will be considered market rate units. And then the other 75% of those units will be rent restricted. And we do that because we liked the mixed income developments of bringing families and uh, together of all backgrounds, income-wise, and two, uh, the incentivized by NIFA 
who is our primary source of uh, funding for these projects through the low-income housing tax credit program. They, pro they promote a mixed income development by providing more points in the application if a developer so chooses. Gotcha. <clears throat> yeah, I know in the, in the past, it was roughly half of the units uh, of the housing authority were, were market. Would you say that's roughly about the same? Uh, I would say it's more heavily on on rent restricted uh, versus a market. third, yeah. maybe a third. Okay. Right. So let's just kind of jump into the brass tacks of why we're here today. Um, we know that there's want and need for more housing, affordable housing, and oftentimes we hear people say way say that we can't build our way out of it, and the conversation kind of fizzles there. But I know I feel like I'm lacking in what it really takes to do projects. And so from your experience, and, and if you want to use one of your current projects and talk about that or just go more theoretical, that's fine. But can you walk us through what it takes to develop a project? And then if I know that we'll be taking our break in about five minutes, so don't feel the need to like cram it all in. But uh, so I don't even know where to start. How, how would you start this answer? Yeah, how I would start this answer, and it may sound kind of cliche, to be honest with you, but it is very true, is that you need a strong, and, and particularly with the financing that we use, we just talked about low-income housing tax mm -hmm. credits, you need a strong team that has the experience or knowledge of a tax credit program. And I say that is, is because this program is very complicated and, or, uh, complicated and comprehensive, and you don't learn on the go. It's, it's something that, the part, all your partners that need to know, architects to engineers, to investors, to contractors, because time is very critical in a tax credit program. The delivery of credits that investors get is dependent on their benefit schedules when you get the project placed in service and start leasing. That's what starts turning the credits, the return on investment to the investors. So sure. that is sounds cliche, but it really is having a experienced and knowledgeable team including your attorneys. Sure. And so before we just jump again deep into this, in learning about your history at the beginning, right now, how many years of experience do you have to talk this clearly about it? Yeah, 20 some years. And how long did it take you before you felt confident to come on to a radio show and, and well, then talk about it? Uh, so I'm still learning, Kurt and Lynn. Um, but I do feel comfortable talking about this because I have lived it for 20 years. Sure. And the, and the program changes from year to year as well. So what you have today in getting an accredited award for NIFA, and NIFA is the Nebraska Investment Finance Authority, which allocates these federal and state credits for the Nebraska. Mm -hmm. They they have a QAP, which is called a, called a Qualified Allocation Plan. And that plan typically was a year plan, and then they would review it with public input and then change it. Now they've gone to a two-year plan, so developers have more stability in knowing how to build and plan a project over a two-year period as opposed to one-year period. But those are the, some of the nuances and the changes to a developer you need to stay aware of. And that's on a, that's on a state level and a national level. All right, so perhaps, uh the next way, well, perhaps the next portion of this answer starts with where does the project go? So from the Housing Authority's you know, perspective, siting is important. You don't want to 
put a bunch of people, cluster them together. Can you tell us a little bit how LHA does their site selection and we'll start there in the, yeah. the financing? Great, great question. So when I first came on board, Larry Potratz was the executive director of the housing authority and his belief was Thomas, I want to put affordable housing, rent restricted housing in places where people in the city would not think affordable housing could go in. And I say that as an example of the housing authority, and this was before my time, but the last tax credit project that the housing authority did was Prairie Crossing. And that project is located at 33rd and Yankee Hill. So most of the uh, multifamily developments in South Lincoln are not rent restricted, but I, I would challenge you to drive by 33rd and Yankee Hill and look at Prairie Crossing and compare it to any other multifamily development. And would you be able to identify that that was a rent restricted property? Right. And so my hat's off to the housing authority's mission of one location of building in these, because some folks would get the, I, the mindset of, well, uh, land costs are very high. And so it would prohibit developers from building in those high opportunity areas and higher cost areas. But the housing authority has made it a passion and a mission to build housing in areas. And we're trying to do also in the suburb areas, the outlying areas of the um, city, because that's where the new growth is and potential. And um, it, it's a challenge though now because land costs are so high. Sure. Len, you wanna take an early break? Yeah, let's do that. So we want our listeners to hang in there for us. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes here on Our Street. Welcome back to Our Street. Lynn Fisher and Kurt Elder having a conversation today with Tom Judds, who's with the Lincoln Housing Authority. He's the planning and development uh, director. And uh, so, Kurt, you start off with, uh, with the second half of the show. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Lynn. So during the break, we were talking about what is it that we want to cover? And I had laid out three general ideas. Um, I wanted to, at the end, cover what are those tools that you need to do more or what kind of stability do you need to do more? The second part of it is um, how can the community become part of your investment pool? How are they involved in the development of housing? And But then the first part that I would like to cover is um, just walk us through what it takes to develop a project. Start with uh, the idea that a director or a board member on the LHA board says, let's do another one all the way through to the doors open. I don't know how long that'll take, but those are the three pieces. Let's just try to cover them. So okay. let's start with that. Well, so my when I came on board at the Housing Authority, my primary mission was to site acquisition and then develop and using the tax credit program. So it probably took close to five years. One, it was getting my feet wet in the Housing Authority's planning and development team and all the responsibilities involved in that. But on the development side itself, the site acquisition, that was a challenge. And I say that is because Lincoln's been growing and uh, a lot of developments on the outskirts, the land was very, very expensive. And some of that was just raw land on affordable housing. And, and this is the example I'll give you, is that on a typical market rate, multifamily development, and, and I'm making this kind of a wide paintbrush, is that you the the source of funds would typically be 75% debt, 25% equity. Mm -hmm. On an affordable housing rent restricted tax credit development, it's the other, it's the other way. 
It's 75% equity and 25% debt. So that is how you make affordable housing work because if you compare the development, grade crossing to a traditional multifamily development, the cost may be very similar. Okay, some of the amenities will be different, but overall the framing cost will be very similar, um, the exciting cost and all of that. So how do you chart, how do you keep your rents low so families of low to moderate income can afford that? And that's where the beauty of the tax credit program comes in because you have equity. 75% of that development cost is covered by equity. So you just lower your, your carrying costs. Yeah, yeah. Your, your rents are lower. Your development costs are covered be, and your debt, your debt is lower. So your debt service is lower and you can lower your rents. And that's the whole point of the tax credit program. So that is key. And, and to make these numbers work, I can't bump rents up. Right. Okay, you're restricted in the percentage of the area meeting income if you subscribe to the tax credit program. So if you have real estate taxes that go up, you, you just can't bump the rents up. And so those are the, it's a very fine line. So when I talked about a team, you need, you need your architects on board to know that what are we doing on the development side? How can we keep these cost effective? You need attorneys involved. There's, there's a lot of paperwork in regards to closing a, a tax credit deal with an investor. I mean, there's a extensive responsibilities and obligations that go into those agreements. So, so just to get into this, this financing idea, that's 75%, uh, so you loan 25, you have other money coming in, whether it be your own operating reserves, uh, HUD funds, uh, tax credits, but you also have other money caps. coming in, caps, people coming in. Um, some of those gaps can be tax increment financing. Some of, those, some of those gaps can be filled with AHP, Federal Home Loan Bank, Topeka grants, also home funds from the state of Nebraska. Sure. So there are tax credit gaps that you, funding gaps that you can fill in there. Is there any, so it's kind of, kind of might be jumping the gun a little, but I think that's germane to bring it in now. When you have these gaps within your pro forma, trying to get a project off the ground, is there ways that the local community can invest with you to, to help support the affordable housing mission? So, yes, there is. And, and I'm going to call it on the investment side. Okay. Please, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is what I mean, because it is an investment. And, yeah. Yeah. So I will say this, the tax credits, the benefit to the developer who applies for tax credits are only good as long as you sell those tax credits to a worthy investor or investors. And so in the case of the housing authority, the project we just got awarded tax credits on, we're under construction. We sold those tax credits locally to a financial institution. And so my background was tax credit syndication. And what that means basically is I would go out and find a group of investors that would pool their funds close to 20 to $30 million. And then those would be a multi-investor fund. And then I would purchase tax credits from various developers. In this case, we did not do a syndication. We went directly to a bank that had the appetite to purchase these tax credits and reinvest in their own community local. So, and part of that, then they also would receive the, the financing, the debt, the construction and the permanent loan. So it's a, actually a win-win for all of us because one, you're creating more affordable housing, which is badly needed here in Lincoln and across the nation. Two, um, you have a local investment in the project mm -hmm. from a construction standpoint, the debt, and then from an ongoing standpoint, debt, 
and equity position. And then the housing authority um, you know, will manage it for the next 45 years and more. Yeah. And the housing authority's mission is basically, you know, managing housing. Sure. So just to just be clear. So let's say that Lindy and I have some deep pockets. Lindy and I have 20 million bucks. We want to find some way to invest to make some money. Could we come to the housing authority and say, we'd like to invest in your project? And maybe not so much use tax credits, but if we just had money we want to put in, what would, would there be a rate of return that we could expect if we worked with you? Okay, so the tax credit program is for an individual investor. Okay. Is the net worth has to be significant. Right. And you have to have passive income and losses in order to do that. Okay. But, so, but I'm taking a, a bigger step back. Let's say that I just had cash and I, I trust the good work that you do and then how you do it. <clears throat> if I wanted to put my money and invest it into LHA, would there be a way that I could see a rate of return if you use my money to build housing, um, I, I I may not get you know the six seven percent that the stock market might give me, but I'm willing to take a less rate of return because it's doing good for my community. Is there any opportunity to do that here locally? It's very hard to do that in the tax credit program. For but it, but if it wasn't in the tax credit program, um, you're just trying to fill a gap. Oh yeah, I mean now in regards to a return, I'm not sure how that would work. Sure, I didn't know being a government agency, I didn't know how that would yeah. work. And I mean we would look at it. So we got local grants. We get local grants from Lincoln Community Foundation, the Cooper Foundation, and others. I don't want to leave anybody out, but um, and that's in regards to like the student building house. Sure, we use that their equity and buy down the construction costs, and then be able to sell the house at an affordable price. Very similar to what the tax rate program is, except on a smaller scale. We have about. Can I ask Kirk? Please so, do. So, so let's say there is somebody. You said there was a local bank that decided to invest in this uh, latest project and they did want to take advantage of the tax credit situation. So how, how does that work? They, they've got $20 million. What do they get back for their $20 million? Excellent question. Yes. Okay. So we sell these, it's a dollar for dollar federal tax credit. And now there is a state credit on top of that Lynn. So for in this example, the bank will receive they will buy, let's say, for example, it's uh, $5 million worth of tax credits, okay, over the 15 years. And that's the investment period that they have to be a partner on. They they will get $5 million, let's say, in equity, cash. It, actually, it's not cash. It's, it's a tax credit for them. It's a federal tax credit. So it reduces their federal tax liability dollar for dollar. The investor will not buy, in most cases, will not buy a dollar's worth of tax credit at a dollar rate, right? Because there's really no return. So they buy it at a discount, and that's where the return of investment comes in. So you're buying, let's say, $1 federal tax credit, but you're going to pay, let's say, $0.85 cents on the dollar. So your return is $0.15 cents on the dollar. That's how. That's the benefit of the tax credit program. The other benefit is the depreciation of the building. So they'll get the depreciation expense over the next 15 years as well. Okay. Now at the end of, so what happens at the end of 15 years? They've at depreciated the their- the, Yep, at yeah. the end of 15 years, that's called the initial compliance period. And that's when the investor will exit because pretty much the tax credits are a 10 year credit. The depreciation is 15. The state credit is a six year credit. So. They're, when they came to us, they're buying the state and the federal credits and the de you're getting the depreciation. At year 15, most of those 
benefits are exhausted. And so then at that point, the investors will typically depart the partnership. Very cool. And, and when they depart the partnership, um, what happens to the depreciation? They've, they've utilized that over that time. Do they have to pay to recover that and somehow if they sell it for a profit or do they just take that as an end of their investment? No, they take that at the end of their investment. And that's so then those, that depreciation still stays with the limited partnership or the limited liability company. But most of that has been exhausted at, during the 15 year period of time. OK, well, it is sound, it sounds very complicated. So it, uh, <laughs> but uh, I thanks for your answer, because I, I, I don't have five or 10 or 20 million dollars, but it'd be interesting to know how that works and why a bank would be incentivized to do that. And, and let me answer that another part, Lynn, is that, so this is part of my concerns going forward with affordable housing on a national level, which impacts us here, is that CRA, which is Community Reinvestment Act, it mandates financial institutions, banks, to uh, meet certain criterias. And one of those would be the investment test. So they have a lending test, a service test, an investment test. By investing in low-income housing tax credits, that helps them meet the investment test. Gotcha. So if CRA changes, CRA reform, which says banks, uh, you don't necessarily need as much investment test or they change the language in regards to the tax credit program, that could impact the amount of equity that comes in from financial institutions. Gotcha. So for example, the bank that we were working with here in Lincoln, that was one of their primary reasons of investing is because they needed that to fulfill their investment side of their obligation to the ERA. So gotcha. perhaps in the last three, four minutes, when we think about what are the tools, and time goes fast, doesn't it? It does. When we think about the tools that you need or the facets you need to create stability, to bring more people to the table, what needs to be more intense or what needs to change in your opinion? Okay, so the burning issue for a lot of rent-restricted low-income housing tax credit developments and developers is happening right now here in Lancaster County, and that is regarding the assessed values of rent-restricted properties. And so this, and what where we're at is back in, I believe in 2015, uh, the state the state law was impacted, affected where that the assessors would have to use, and I hope I use my language correctly here, but use the income approach right. as to a market approach. And so that, and I, I'm all for that. And the reason being, and I was a strong advocate for, for years on this, is because when you build, again, like I use Prairie Crossing, you look at that, it may look like a market rate project, you know, construction wise, but underneath the underlying issues is a land use restriction agreement that's tied to that deed. And that deed, that restriction says you cannot rent to families over 60% or less area meeting income. You cannot rent above those. And that is tied to that for the next 45 years. So assessors don't, I don't think understand the issue is that you can't, I, I can't pay taxes based on the cost of a or a comparable project that may be a market rate project because my rent structure is completely different than what I have to abide by. 
I'm not a market rate development. So if they would just focus on that one, uh, the solution would be, from what I understand, the assessor would say that I'm, <clears throat> I'm also following state constitution, not so much state statute. And there was state statute that was changed, but not so much the constitution. And that's what they're leaning against. So is the solution, but not all assessors do this comparably across the state. So, so I think the issue comes down to is that there are a number of developments, a few that have shown a zero net operating income after you do the calculation. And then they're saying, well, there's no real estate, then, no, no tax. And that, that is, I don't agree with. And, and, but in those situations is that because that development may have occurred a lot more in expenses and so that wiped out the net operating income. In those cases, that developer and owner then is obligated when they, when they partner with an investor is to fulfill any operating deficits that may incur on the project. So if, like the housing authority, if we build Prairie Crossing and one year we have uh, whatever snow removal that is just unbelievably high mm -hmm. and it blew our budget out, guess who is responsible for covering those costs? Yeah. The owner, the developer yeah. is. They are to, required to put money back into that project. So I, I, I could see a trend being looked at for the NOIs and net, net operating income as opposed to going a year by year basis. Um, that way it gives you a better picture, the assessor a better picture of what is the true operations of this project. No, I hope you continue to listen to the series because they're gonna be on our show. Oh, I will be. Yeah, and so perhaps we bring this guy back to ask some more. Yeah better questions but Lynn I think we're at our end so yep I think we've reached the end of our uh, show hey Tom thanks so much for coming on the show we really appreciate it and uh, we'd love to have you come back again thank you Lynn it's good to see you again and Kurt good to see you thanks so much and thanks to our listeners for spending another interesting 30 minutes here on our street and we'll see you next week